0: Time again for another episode of the Mid American Bandwagon Podcast, Episode 16. It's officially been four months now. Uh, it's crazy to me, but I guess time flies whenever you're having fun. As usual, I am Zach Falidor, joined by my co-host, as always, Sam philman Sam, how you doing today, man?
1: Uh, good. Just starting to li- live. Um, if you guys didn't know, Peyton Manning and uh, David Letterman were on campus, unfortunately. Yeah, I saw didn't that. Didn't hear about it till it was too late because apparently no one in on the football team likes to leak stuff out, you know, for whatever reason. <laughs> you know, wish I could have known beforehand. But anyway, Pace has got a new head coach. Pretty excited about that. But yeah, just excited for some Mac football in two weeks.
0: I'm I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you about what you thought of uh, the new Pacers coach, Nate. Uh, what is it, Bjorkgren? Nate, I, yeah, I don't know something say, like that. He's he was uh, what it was an assistant with the Raptors, right?
1: Yeah, he, he's he's been a G League uh, head coach for several years. Had a um, from what I saw, a phenomenal record. He even led one of the teams to a G League finals, which is sold. His name didn't come up in the coaching search, like we saw Chauncey Billups. We saw Becky M. Yeah. I was just surprised by a hire, but I'm not so shocked that the Pacers kind of kept his name under wraps because that's how most Indiana teams do. They don't really let it be known early on who they're going after in case they get poached. So yeah, I think it's a solid hire. I just have to wait and see. Yeah. You know what it
0: kind of reminds me of is um, obviously I, you know, I grew up as a Steelers fan and it reminds me in 2007 of whenever the steelers hired mike tomlin because bill cowher retired he had been the coach for I think, 20 years 18 years something like that and uh you know there were there were all these talks of like these big name head coaches who the steelers might bring in and then they hired mike tomlin who was just a d coordinator from the vikings nobody really knew who he was and some people questioned it because of that but then i mean two years later uh we won Super Bowl, so like, you no, know, <laughs> not worked, to flex or anything. It, it worked out. It worked out. So you never know. It could not turn out to be a good thing for the Pacers. We'll see. Uh, but anyway, enough NBA talk. Like something else you mentioned in the intro. There, we're two weeks away from Mac football. Man, I will week and a half, based depending on when you guys are listening to this. But um, I'm pumped about that. And uh, speaking of Mac football, we do have some news in that regard. Uh, Sam, it's the uh, the conference announced some uh, details around the TV schedule earlier this week. You want to break that down for the, the listeners?
1: Yeah, as you perfectly elegantly put the MAC uh, update, their football television schedule, the big thing I, both of us kind of talked about on the podcast through several years ago was the TV deals and ESPN possibly offering uh, the MAC uh, doing a spring football and whatnot, but they decided for the winter, and we were curious to see where the MAC would be put on, whether it's Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday nights. Well, the deal is it's going to be Tuesday, Thursday for or Wednesday, Thursday for most of it, and then it'll jump into Saturdays in the uh, last few weeks. You can read all of it. Mac um, the the getsomeaction.com has a um, the official conference website has all the listings. So if you want to see your team or whatnot, what time they're playing, where to find them, you can. But I'll just break down the first uh, week. Essentially, you've got Western Michigan playing at Akron, 6 p.m. ESPN three. Eastern Michigan at Kent State, 6 p.m. ESPN Plus. Ohio at Central Michigan, 7 p.m. on regular ESPN. Buffalo at Northern Illinois, going 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Two. Ball State at Miami, 7 p.m. on CBS Sports Network. And Bowling Green at Toledo, 8 p.m. ESPN U. With all that being said, there's a lot. There's a lot of. I, I think I was surprised at how many games are actually on ESPN. Yeah. I actually had the same exact reaction, Sam.
0: That was one of the first things I noticed is like how many games are actually going to be on ESPN itself or even ESPN Two? I mean, Wednesday uh, the first night, the fourth, you got Ohio at central Michigan seven o'clock on ESPN. That's a prime time slot. Then the the next week on Tuesday, you got Miami at Buffalo on ESPN on Wednesday, you got Toledo Western Michigan on ESPN Two. I mean, there's a lot of great, Uh, A lot of great matchups that are going to be on national television. It's going to be awesome. I also don't think like I knew this, but I don't think I fully grasped the fact that for those first few weeks, all the games are going to be on weeknights like that first Wednesday night, November 4th. I mean, we're going to have six Mac games on at one time, like even on a normal Saturday of college football. I mean, at any one time on my TV, there's probably, or you could probably pick between what, maybe seven or eight, maybe nine games at once. I mean, you're going to have almost a regular slate of college football here on a Wednesday night. It's awesome. Um, I I thought maybe they they were going to spread the games out a little bit, maybe have games like, you know, four o'clock or something like that in the afternoon, but they're all doing them all at night. And, uh, you know, there's a couple matchups there that first Wednesday night. Man, I'm telling you what, Ohio at Central Michigan, that's a great game that they picked to put on ESPN. That's two teams there that have aspirations of winning the conference. I'll be excited to watch that one.
1: Uh, I think what frustrates me, and I think this brings up a point that several people have brought up, including myself, is the need for a college football red zone. Because when I – I not only want to watch Ball State, of course, at that 7 p.m. window, there's no doubt. Ball State at Miami, going to be tuning into that – but, like, with how they scheduled it and not being spaced out and whatnot, we can't watch, unless you yeah. have three TVs, which I don't have access to, I can't watch all the games at the same time, and that frustrates me. Like, we're we're literally going to be um, watching Western Michigan at Akron at 6 p.m., as well as Eastern Michigan at Kent State, and, and for Mac people like myself who not only want to watch kind of the entire Mac, it's going to be hard to juggle two games at once when there's no summer red zone or – Form of thing that goes back and forth between the games. So that just kind of what frustrates me is yeah. since you kind of jam packed into three hours. I'm not going to be able to watch all the games and that just frustrates
0: me. No, that's a good point. It's true. And exactly what you're saying is, is kind of why I thought maybe they would do like some afternoon games and experiment with that. Like, you know, I figure there's not going to be fans that can be in the stadium anyway. So it's not like you got to worry about people driving at a weird hour to get there. I mean, it would just be for TV purposes anyway. Like they could have easily started a game at four o'clock on a Wednesday, you know, you might not get quite as many viewers as you would uh, at seven, But I feel like you put all these games in the same time slot, they're all going to take away viewers from each other. There's a lot of people like us that would watch all of these games if they were spread out, you know what I mean? Um, No doubt.
1: And looking to next week, I mean, you got two uh, games at the same time on Tuesday, November 10th, Akron at Ohio and Kent State at Bowling Green. Now, that may not sound like the best matchup by any means, Akron traveling to Ohio, but I still want to watch it. I know, I know all the people on Hustle Belt still want to watch. I know all the, probably all the listeners would still tune into it. And, and I would also want to watch the Kent State at Bowling Green game, no matter if Dustin Crum's putting up 400 yards. I still want to watch that. And to say, you're kind of forcing me to choose one game or the other, unless I want to flip back and forth and back and forth, back and forth. But like, yeah, I just feel like there's a need for some sort of system, which allows me to watch all the games at once or spread out the games yeah no I hear you and that's that's you
0: know that, I think that's valid but uh you know I think what, it is what it is at this point we we, they, we got the times they gave us I think either way I hear I hear your concerns and I, I share a lot of them but I'm still excited for some of these matchups I think it's going to be awesome to be able to watch Mac football again so all things considered I'm, I'm pretty pumped there um so how, how do you feel ball stay in Miami at seven o'clock there that first night
1: uh i'm worried to be honest like defending champion have all the the their players opted back in it's it's not looking good blaine gabbert has another or not uh brett gabbert yeah i i confused him with his brother but yeah. um uh who who did make an appearance this season so far but anyway yeah, yeah. No, none of that none of that talk but um i am super worried about this ball State game i'm excited that it's at least on cbs sports so i hope that there's some streaming platform that will actually put it out there because i know there's a couple games where like i couldn't be at the game because in a away and like no one was showing it because it yeah. wasn't on a notable network yeah. so i'm just what i'm excited about is all these games whether it's on espn plus espn 3 espn 2 espn u cbs like all these games up until November seventh, where they haven't made a call one way or the other, what TV kind of uh, place they're going to yeah. is on a primetime network, and that that that's what excites me the most.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you there. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be awesome for for weeknights here for a few weeks. So. That's really the only big news story we've had this week coming from the Mac. least the only one we, you know, we're going to talk about here tonight. You can go, uh, as Sam mentioned earlier, you can go to the Mac official website and it's the, it's the first story up there and has a list of all the games and, you know, any game that hasn't announced a a start time and what network it's on, you can, you can go find it there. So let's go ahead and move on, Sam. Uh, We have a couple of Twitter questions to, uh, to read this week or Twitter responses to read this week. Um, we, have, we had a question last week that we didn't have time to get to. So we moved it over to this week and Aaron, we're going to redo them both here. So um, Sam, why don't, I, I mean, we can start with either one, but why don't we uh, run through these responses here and, uh, you know, give the, the fans some shout outs.
1: Okay, sounds good. Do you want to start with the one two weeks ago or the sure. one last week? Yeah, we Two weeks ago? Off. Okay. Uh, again, sorry we couldn't get to it last week. Twitter was just being crappy. It was down for a certain amount of time. So we weren't able to do it. But here we are to kind of re um, reintroduce the Twitter question. So I said a um, – so basically, how are you guys feeling about your team's six-game schedule? Confident, feel like you got screwed, reply with your team, and how are you feeling down below? We got a decent amount of responses. I think, I think a nice mix of – people's reactions i would say so
0: yeah i agree um our, our boy uh the k hod as always you know he's he said it's go time he, we know he's a western michigan fan so um i'm sure he was maybe a little bit relieved to see uh akron as the crossover matchup in, in week one for the broncos but yeah it's i you know i agree with him i think western michigan got a good draw on that you know they could definitely make some noise this year
1: No doubt. But I thought I think what's interesting is even with before we get into the individual responses is the schedules, no matter who it is, even if you have the one crossover game with Akron, it's not easy for anybody when you look at uh, Western Michigan after that Toledo, Central Michigan. NIU, Eastern Michigan, Ball State, and and let's go to Bowling Green, Toledo, Kent State, Buffalo, Ohio, just to name a few. So yeah. even with that one crossover game, that gets you one free win. Other than that, it seems like it's going to be a a week by week, just kind of um, race to the end. Kind of we're just it's going to be super close on the MAC. I think than um, more especially with less games, and I, and I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Yeah, I know. I think you're exactly right. I agree with you. I think. There's, there's, when I look at the, you know, the, the standings, um, you know, how the breakdowns of each division, I think there's, there's four teams in each division that legitimately feel that they have a shot at winning the division and going to to Ford Field, and I think all of them are probably justified in feeling that way. I feel like there's not a ton that separates those teams, and so, um, so yeah. To your point, I, I think you're exactly right. Like that parody in the conference is going to create so many great matchups this year. And you're exactly right. Nobody in the in the conference has necessarily an easy schedule.
1: Yeah, and no doubt, and to get, get into this Twitter question, we got Reese Timbrick, which I can't say on air, as I asked James if I could, and he said to censor. <laughs> so I'll, yeah. I'll just say uh, F, F Toledo, Yeah, he doesn't as like, Reese says. doesn't
0: like Toledo too much.
1: I, I'm yeah. guessing he's a, a BG fan by uh, uh, saying yeah. A Ziggy. I yeah, and,
0: and that's actually, I, I'm, I've been seeing that A Ziggy hashtag. I get I know Bowling Green's official uh, you know Twitter accounts use A Ziggy a lot. I don't know what a Ziggy means. If, if maybe if some Bowling Green fans could, could tweet at us and tell us what that means, because I don't know about you, Sam, but I I don't know what it means, but I, every, I see it everywhere that Bowling Green, you know, says, you know, I, on Twitter, wherever it is, I always see them post it.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, you can either tweet at us, send us DMs. Our DMs are always open. So yeah, just let us know because as Zach said, I have no idea either. I see it a lot. I'm guessing it has something something kind of resembling the university in some way, but we're not sure. But anyway, we've got Kevin McAndrews who says, Kent State still uh, stinks. Akron has been training nonstop since May. The other Mac teams, I've barely seen a hint of training news other than uh players transferring and then someone someone commented on that chris uh hijack i'm gonna i hope i said your name right all that training and akron's will still go oh and six crumb is about to light akron up on 11 17 so it seems like uh zach i don't know i'm getting the feeling that rivalries are still alive even though we've been like a while without football yeah the rivalries in the mac are still alive <laughs>
0: I've been saying this like la- a couple weeks ago when we were doing all those Akron interviews, and we interviewed um, Demetrius Treadwell and, and Jamon Ivy. I asked both of them about it because I, I feel like Akron and Kent State is such an underrated rivalry, and like here it is right here. Like there's clearly like some venom between these two fan bases, and I love it. I think um, honestly, for for, for Kevin, um, I respect that he's sticking with the Zips through. This kind of rough pass that they're going through, I, I respect his uh, his commitment to his team and his uh, his readiness to talk on their behalf. I you know I, I feel like it's kind of it's I, I'm, unfortunately Kevin. I think Acker might be in for another tough year here. But uh, either way, I, I respect the commitment. I love it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm there with you. I, I'm since we have kind of got a friendship with Zips. United, I'm I'm hoping the best for. I'm hoping the best. As am Zips. I. As am I for sure. But they haven't proven to me, and until they do so, I'm going to leave towards the pessimistic side of things. Now, they can totally prove me wrong. Tom Martin in his second year could go off for a miracle 6-0 and Cinderella story run. But just from what we've seen, I'm just not that big of a believer in, in the Akron this season.
0: Yeah, I think, honestly, I mean, I think Tom Marth could still prove out, you know, to be a good hire there. Mm-hmm. I just still think it, things were so bad when he got there. It's going to take in a couple more years before I think they're seriously competitive. But I think they could be on the right track for sure.
1: Uh, no doubt. And to close out this uh, one Twitter question before we move on to the next, John Bellows said Miami got the best outcome possible home games against good Ball State and Kent State teams, as well as the Battle of the Bricks against Ohio road games at Akron and BG who are probably the bottom two in the East this year, the trip to Buffalo will be tough, but outside of that, I like it. What are your, what is your reaction to that?
0: Um, I actually, I agree with him completely. If you're going to talk about a team that got a that got a good draw, um, I, I think Miami is, is probably it, relatively speaking. I mean, Ball State is not an easy crossover game at all, but they get them at home, like John says. And then, I mean, so every team here has three road games, right? Well, two of Miami's three road games are Akron and Bowling Green, who, um, you know, both teams are improving, but I still think talent-wise and depth-wise, they're at the bottom of the conference. So, like, you get two of your three road games against, you know, somewhat weaker opponents, And then um, you get Akron and, or I'm sorry, you get Ohio and Kent State, two of the other contenders in your division at home. At Buffalo is obviously tough, like John mentioned, but I still agree with them overall. I think they got a good draw.
1: uh, No doubt. I'm there with you. I think he summed it up perfectly. Like you get your tougher opponents at home is always an advantage. And then the away opponents are sort of weaker, except for the Buffalo, which I think is going to be one of the best uh, games of the year. I'm going to, I'm going to call it now. I think that's, potentially uh, sending a message uh, to the rest of the year of how it's going to go for either team. Yeah. But, Zach, I want to bring up this point. Does home field advantage really matter this year? We obviously have no fans, no tailgating, basically not a whole lot of people talking. I know that they're even – they don't even know if parents are going to be allowed in the building when it comes yeah. down to game day. So does home field advantage in this kind of 2020 weird year even matter?
0: You're right. It's a good point. I don't think I probably, I don't think it matters as much, but I still think there's something to be said for like having to go on the road to an unfamiliar environment you got, you know, spend the night in a weird hotel or this year because of COVID sometimes maybe even going the morning of the game and then having to get there and you're an unfamiliar locker room and all that stuff. I still think there's something to be said for all that, but I don't think it'll be as much as it would be in a normal year with fans in the stands. You're right.
1: And so, and so with that, that kind of rings my mind, do you think there will be more upsets because let's say we've got a, um, let's say we've got Akron at uh, Buffalo the last week of the season, December yeah. 12th. Do you think that could be prime? That could be a prime for an upset because Buffalo like let, let's like, like, let's be real. Akron's like, doesn't have much to play for this season. So we could see with, with the lack of home field advantage, p- potentially more upsets, I think. Yeah, that's, I
0: think that's a fair point. And I also think another thing that can lead to, um, you know, more upsets is going to be, I, I think a lot of coaches are going to do a lot of more experimental type of stuff this year, especially with like playing a lot of younger players, not necessarily because, um, there, there may be the, the best at that exact moment, but maybe to use it as a developmental year, because, you know, people, you know, you're not losing eligibility for playing this year. The NCAA has already come out and say that. So like, who's to say some coaches won't throw some freshmen out there just to get them some reps, knowing that, you know, it'll, it'll, you know, this is a free year for them. Um, you know, I could, I could see that
1: happening too. Yeah, no doubt. We could we could kind of like see us as more, more of a redshirt year, free redshirt year exactly. when you look at yep. it, like it used to be the previous year or a couple of years, only four games before you had to sit out the rest of the season, but yeah. this time it's six, more games, more experience. I think this is gonna be interesting to watch what coaches how coaches kind of finagle this season because every season's different. Are you are you gonna be fully committed to a Mac championship run or are you gonna try to develop that youth moving forward? And I think this is going to be a wild heck of a year, just full of uncertainty. 2020 has already thrown so much kind of crap in our direction that it's, <laughs> it's going to be wild to watch.
0: Yeah, it is, man. It is. I, I agree with you. Um, and yeah, you never know. There's so much parity in the MAC this year that, yeah, I could absolutely see some more upsets. So, yeah, I, I think those responses were great. Um, I, you know, I love, to, I love to hear and keep them coming, guys.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And we're going to move on to our last uh, Twitter question and this past week. I said, I, I honestly didn't expect as many responses as we did, but people have a lot to say on this. What's the biggest, what if sports moment from your school and why? I And I made the example, Ian e makes field goal instead of misses and you win the MAC championship. And we, ha- we had quite a few responses, Zach.
0: Yeah, we did. Um, our our guy, the k again, coming through with, uh, with, rep in Western Michigan he said what if Western Michigan football ran the table in 2015 always said for a Mac team to make the playoff of college football uh, there needs to be a perfect storm on the schedule Western Michigan opened with number five Michigan State and played number one Ohio State if they beat both of those teams and go undefeated they would have to be in right that's an interesting question I mean if to obviously a long shot but yeah I mean to beat michigan state and ohio state if they would have pulled that off that year i i could kind of potentially see that happening yeah
1: yeah and and this kind of brings me to the point that i know a lot of group of five people and this is immaculate but like the struggles of ucf to get into the national championship and like it's so hard for a non-power five team to get into the championship that i think beating michigan state and ohio state coming off their um perfect storm there there needs to be a perfect storm like I think that's it I think that that no matter if you're a um a group of five team or not you get you get both those wins considering Mm -hmm. the history that they had during those seasons I think you gotta let them in
0: yeah that would be um that would have been something that would have been something um and obviously you know western Michigan got somewhat close again uh two years later or I, I should say the next year we uh, you know when they went undefeated and went to the Cotton Bowl so yeah there's been some good uh, some good stuff coming out of Kalamazoo in the last couple years.
1: Mike said I mean not Mac specifically but what if Miami Ohio hockey didn't give up two goals against BU in the last minute in the 2009 national championship eventually losing then in overtime?
0: Man that's not one that I remember I, I don't follow hockey quite as closely but that <laughs> That does, I mean, that sounds like a brutal ending and a terrible way to lose a national championship. Um, that would have been cool. You don't see many, you know, national championships come back to the max. So It certainly would have been cool if Miami could have held on there and pulled that one out.
1: No doubt. And I Ball State doesn't have a, I think we have a hockey club on campus. We don't have an actual, like, um, sponsor, or w- what would you call it? Like a um, university.
0: Like a, yeah, like a varsity uh, team. Varsity.
1: Yep. Yep. And so like, I don't follow Mac hockey that closely, but yeah, national championship. I know Miami, Ohio is big on their football program, but if you could bring a national championship to the hockey, that, that helps the university 10 times. And, and you, like you're telling me that doesn't attract a few more kids, like say, Hey, not only are we good in football, but we're also good in hockey too. So I mean, that's definitely a good that, that definitely would have been a good selling point for the university if they would have got, got it yeah, done. No doubt that's that's huge uh, marketing material right there for sure. And we got our uh, next up we got our uh, of course, our uh, reliable Kevin McAndrew said, what if Miami Ohio did make that half court shot versus the 2007 Mac championship against the 26 and six Akron zips after a missed free throw? The ball was tipped before the rebound and the clock didn't start. That was the team in the top fifty RP, RPI and had five top twenty-five votes. No postseason question mark?
0: Yeah, you know what? I actually remember watching that game when I—I I think I was in what 2007. I was in high school. Yeah, that—I um, remember seeing that. And I pulled up—I uh, pulled up Akron's schedule from that season uh, because, like he said, they are you know 26 and six in the regular season there, and definitely probably the best team in the MAC, and definitely a team that belonged in the NCAA tournament. Unfortunately, when you're in a conference like the Mac, that's a one bid league. That's just the reality of life. You know, you get upset in the conference tournament. And even if you're the best team in the conference, you're not going uh, unless you have like some great wins in the non-conference, which unfortunately I'm looking here and Akron did not have that year. They played one ranked team in the non-conference. They played Nevada, who was ranked 25th and they lost by two. But anyway, I looked this up. And so Miami, Ohio beat Akron by one point in that game, 53, 52, They played, those two teams played two games in the regular season. When they played at Miami, uh, they lost 64-62 in overtime. And when they played up Miami at home, they won 54-52. So they they tied essentially through two games in the regular season. Then Miami beat them by one in the conference tournament championship. So talk about evenly matched teams that year. It's unfortunate that uh, that Zips team didn't get to go dancing though.
1: And you're talking about how you're in high school. I I would have been seven, so
0: <laughs> I don't
1: even know what what is seven converted into school years. Because was that like second That's, grade?
0: Uh, probably f- uh first, maybe first. Uh, maybe first. first or second grade.
1: Yeah. Okay. First but but anyway that that th- but i definitely didn't watch it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'll just say that but i mean 26 and 7 what's what's curious i'm looking at the akron's uh record a year ago they went 23 and 10 made it to the semifinals, made made to the nit and then the following year they had a better record yet didn't even go to the nit so i don't know whether they just declined the nit outright. Oh, but here
0: was that i don't remember
1: So it would, it would 2004, 2005, they made it to the second round of the NIT. 2007, 2008, they also made it to the NIT. And, but in 2006, 2007, had an even better record, but didn't make the NIT either. So, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. That's just weird. But, Yeah, I would like if they would have made the NCAA tournament, they probably should have. I'm not I'm not sure I wasn't like a basketball watcher, so I'm not sure the context of who made it in and why exactly. But, hey, uh, based on those facts, I'm I'm here for a Mac getting included uh, to uh, a two bid league. Yeah, Yeah, I would love it, too. No doubt. And um, moving on to our next response, we got Reese Timbrook back again saying, "Ugh, what if Clawson had stayed to coach the Bull in 2013? BGSU would have beaten Penn Detroit. We legit referred to Ford Field as the North Doit for those years, and that would have cemented that name.
0: I remember that game. That was uh, right after Dino Babers got uh, named the Pit. Uh, I'm sorry, the Bowling Green head coach, if I'm not mistaken. Bowling Green, I mean, it was a close game. Pitt only won by three. Uh, it looks like I'm looking at the box score right now. It was 10-10 at halftime. Yeah, Pitt outscored them 10-7 in the, in the fourth quarter to win 30-27. to um, I mean, that's always a good game, you know, when the MAC has a team in there and they get to play a, a power five team. I always enjoy watching that game. And uh, yeah, so this was right before, this was the year before uh, Dino Babers became head coach. And As uh, as Reese mentioned right after Dave Clawson left to go to uh, where's he at now Dave Clawson is he Wake Forest I think Um, or NC State one of those I don't know one of those ACC schools but uh, yeah that that was uh, that was Bowling Green at their peak there man I mean they were 10 and 2 that season and then lost that game so they were 10 and 3 but um, that was when Bowling Green was Bowling Green.
1: And I just looked up the head coach of that uh bowling, that uh Bowling Green team for that bowl game, and apparently Adam Shear is the special teams coordinator for the Rutgers football team. So that that's just a little interesting side note. But yeah, back to that point, I think I think he definitely could have, considering they only lost by three with a coach who literally just got put in there in a week. So yeah. you tell me, you can't beat a pit team who went six and six on the season, like. Yeah, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they would have gotten it done there. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm with you on that one. And Ryan, o, Ryan O'Donnell uh, next up said, what if Indiana men's basketball didn't shoot the lights out against Kent State in the 2002 Elite Eight?
0: You know what? I remember that Kent State team because uh, in the
1: Sweet 16,
0: to get to the Elite Eight, they beat Pitt in that game. Uh, and obviously, you know, growing up in Pittsburgh, I had a bunch of friends that were Pitt fans and loved that Pitt team. And they were good. I was Pitt – you know, Pitt had some great teams back there in the early 2000s, but Kent State beat them to get to the Elite Eight. And then, yeah, like, uh, like, mentioned, like they mentioned here that, um, you know, Pitt or Indiana just shot the lights out in that Elite game. That was a really good Indiana team. If I'm not mistaken, that's the year I think they lost the national championship to Maryland. I think they made it all the way to the, the title game and lost. Uh, when Mike Davis was their coach. But yeah, that was a great Kent State team. And if again, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was one of Antonio Gates's teams. Like okay, Antonio Gates played on that team before he switched to football in the pros.
1: Solid. And yeah, I looked, I'm at the roster right now and it lists Antonio Gates as a forward. So you are correct. And I was two at the time, if that tells you anything about my age. <laughs> so you telling me you don't remember this? I uh, Yeah, uh, sorry. <laughs> my my parents probably had it on the background, don't even know what I was yeah, doing. Yeah. There. and then. But, I mean, the teams they beat in the NCAA tournament, you've got Oklahoma State, Alabama, and Pittsburgh, and I'm not sure exactly how those teams were in the uh, 2002 season, but you're beating three, Power 5 school, yeah. uh, losing double digits to an Indiana team. But, yeah, as you mentioned, reaching the national championship with Mike Davis, I mean, that that's not a bad season. You're losing to the NCAA runner-up. Like, I consider that season a complete success. Yeah,
0: that was one, I mean, one of the best seasons in in Kent State's history, probably the best season in Kent State's history.
1: And now we got um, Akron Echo, who said, what if Keith Dambro had a free scholarship available for CJ McCollum, who wanted to play for the Zips?
0: So I never knew that before.
1: I knew, so I know
0: CJ McCollum is from Canton, Ohio, which is not far at all from Akron. I know he's a, you know, he's a Browns fan and everything like that. But I, I did not know that he wanted to go to Akron because I know he, because he ended up going obviously to Lehigh out in Eastern Pennsylvania, which uh, is crazy thinking of that he, you know, that's where he went thinking of what he does now in the NBA. Um, but no, I, I never knew that, but I, you know, makes sense. He's, he's from the area. Um, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. That's what, that is a good, what if right there.
1: And, but, but to think that I don't, like, I don't necessarily know that CJ McCollum, no, no offense to Akron, and you no, know, like this isn't any shots, but does he really make his name if Lehigh doesn't be, if he's not on that Lehigh team to beat Duke? It, does he get drafted into the NBA? Like maybe he yeah. does the same stuff he does at Lehigh putting up ridiculous numbers, but does he get his name out there? Does he get drafted to the trailer? Does he do what he does now? Because as good a player, he could be on um, uh, an NBA team and an Akron team. Like you're telling me that that NCAA tournament win against Duke wasn't the defining moment that made like everyone aware of who CJ McCollum was, and sure it would have been great to see what he would have done in Akron uniform, but I just I just don't know if if it's really the same. Like they could have won like four straight Mac championships, but does he? But is he still the same CJ McCollum that we know now? Right.
0: Yeah. I think honestly, like scouting in professional sports is so good nowadays that i feel like they still probably would have maybe yeah but 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 i think probably his maybe his path would have been a lot different because he got so much notoriety from that you know when they beat duke in the tournament so like maybe you know if he doesn't get his name out there maybe it just would have taken longer maybe he wouldn't have been drafted he would have to go through the g league or something like that but i think his skills would have eventually probably shown
1: no doubt. And we've got three responses left. We're going to kick it on with Parker Perry, who said, what if Alex Abreu, who uh, didn't get arrested, and to follow up that, we got Zips United, said, what if Quincy Diggs and Alex Abreu would have been on the roster for the entire 2012-2013 season? They list the um, lineup that follows. Treadwell uh, slash Harney, Dilliam slash Kretzer slash McAdams, Marshall slash Forsyth, Diggs slash Wall slash Itabayo, Abreu slash Benton court injustice yeah I mean that was a
0: great team uh, I mean finished the, the regular season uh, 24 and six went on to win the Mac tournament beat Ohio uh, they were a 12 seed and uh, unfortunately it got kind of kind of got smoked by Virginia Commonwealth in the first round of the NCAA tournament but still I mean 26 and six in the regular in the regular season in tournament and then you know 26 and 7 after that loss to uh to vcu that's a heck of a team that was one of the better teams in recent memory uh of, you know in the mac as far as basketball goes and uh yeah to think that they did it for uh you know a lot of the year without some of their better players and that is that is crazy to think about
1: no doubt and just uh, looking at their all their like green versus the red is ridiculous yeah. you got you got so much success on here of course you got your loss to the um number 16 Creighton but other than that I mean I'm, was I'm looking I,
0: I was I was looking through the non-conference schedule to see if I could find any notable wins and then I see one of the greens here it says verse Penn State Puerto Rico tip off 85 <laughs> yep, by
1: 25
0: 85 to 60 Akron beat Penn State that year yeah Akron was a heck of a squad that year
1: yeah barely losing to Oklahoma State but other than that like really solid schedule eventually win the uh, MAC championship game yeah really solid team I mean, what what could have Akron been if they had those teams? Do they make it further than VCU? Because they lost it by 46
2: yeah, to yeah.
1: VCU. And, and no offense to VCU, but I think Akron could have made a, a heck of a lot closer if they had those two on that team. Yeah, for sure. No doubt at all. And moving on from that... We've got uh, the, to finish it off, we got the College Sports Connection podcast, our friends over there. We said if the referees hadn't missed the extra points against Syracuse in 2011 for Toledo. Saturday, September
0: 24th that year, they played at Syracuse, lost 33 to 30 in overtime. So, um, and yeah, it looks like, you know, if if, one of those kicks would have been good, they wouldn't have been in overtime in the first place. Wow, that's crazy. Anytime you have a chance to upset a, uh, a, you know, a power five team like that, you want to take advantage of it. And that, that's a tough way to lose it. It also looks like earlier that season, two weeks earlier uh, uh, in week two, um, they went to Ohio State and almost knocked off the Buckeyes. 27-22 was the final score in that game. So two really close calls for the Rockets that year.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, looking at the quarterback, Ryan Nassif, I actually remember him. I think he was drafted in the NFL draft. Was he the Giants or... Yeah, no, he
0: played for. Uh, who did Ryan Nassim play for? That's a great question because I remember him as well. Um, he played. Yeah, you're right. He did play for the Giants. Uh,
1: so He yeah. played
0: for the Jaguars for a few years too. So um, yeah, that's 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 right. You, you got it.
1: Yeah. So yeah, it would have been a complete solid win. Another um, kind of upset, considering uh, going into that uh, game, it would have been Toledo was one and two, and Syracuse was two and one. And it would have been another great upset to put on kind of the max storied upsets over the years. I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with them completely. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I, that's all the Twitter responses we have. I'll come up with something. Do, Do you have any ideas, Zach, for what you want to ask the people?
0: a great question um we should maybe ask them let's see what week one football matchup they're looking most looking forward to you know there we got go. some great games to pick the, from there on on uh, wednesday the fourth so let's uh let's see what uh, see what they have to say about that sounds good uh, before we move on guys i wanted to talk to you real quick about home field apparel uh home field apparel is the premier direct customer clothier for college sports fans and hustle belt have partnered for an exclusive line of t-shirts Pick up your Tuesday night or jolly blogger shirt on homefieldapparel.com right now, and you can save 20% off your entire first purchase using the promo code HUSTLE. Every shirt you buy helps us out at the blog, and you'll feel good too, thanks to Homefield's exclusive 52% cotton, 48% polyester blend. Rep the best little blog in the Midwest today by going to homefieldapparel.com and using the promo code HUSTLE. All right, uh, moving on now. Um, I'm really excited about this segment here, Sam. We're gonna go ahead and, and start our um, our own kind of season preview here with uh, our MAC East preview. So we're gonna break down the Eastern Division for you guys this week, and then next week we'll break down the West. And then, uh, believe it or not, week after that we'll be uh, we'll be looking at some football games. So I'm um, really excited to get this started. So. Um, Sam, why don't we, why don't we start out here, but why don't we start off with talking about how, how we see the division shaking out in terms of the standings this year
1: for my standings. You can, you can like it. You can hate it, whatever. This is my predictions. I'm going (laughs) to stick by it. I don't, I don't care what you guys think. I I do, but not, not my prediction wise. (laughs) So starting off from the top, I have, uh, Miami actually going undefeated this season. I have then in second place, I Buffalo going five and one, Kent State going three and three. So average about Ohio, two and four, and then Bowling Green, Akron actually tying with one and five.
0: So, so you're saying you have, you have Miami beating Buffalo in their head to head matchup and thus Miami winning the division. Okay. That's interesting. That's an interesting, uh, Interesting pick. So I I have, uh, I think we have similar uh, standings. There's a couple changes though. Um, I have Buffalo winning the division at five and one and then Miami uh, in second at five and one, obviously meaning there that I think Buffalo will beat Miami when they play head to head, but I could also see, I I can see Buffalo stumbling and, you know, getting getting knocked off in one of these other games. Like we said, there's so many good teams uh, in the East, you know, Ohio or Kent state, I could see knocking them off probably most likely Ohio, I think would be the best contender there. So I have Buffalo and Miami at one and two, both at five and one. I have Ohio state and Kent state uh, three and four, both at three and three. I have Bowling green at two and four. And then Akron, unfortunately, I hate to do it, but I have them at Oh, and six, I'm <laughs> pulling for the zips. I just, I, I still think they're a year or two away.
1: So Oh, and 18. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. But so anyway, uh, so that's interesting. So you have, uh, you have Miami going undefeated. I think, they could certainly win that division. I, I think you might be in the minority there, picking them to go undefeated. But you must be pretty high on them, especially. I know that. I mean, their, their defense is supposed to be great. I
1: mean, I mean, when like from what I've seen, they're not losing a whole lot of talent. They've still got Gabbert. They still they got their options. If if the cornerback in their alignment didn't opt back in, I would have a different story. I think I would have yeah. um, Buffalo gaining that win and then then winning the MAC um, East Division. Thus. But I think with all that, I think Brett Gabbard is going to look even better than he has. I think he's just going to take his game to the next level. And considering they're off the high of the MAC championship, I think they're just going to ride it throughout the season.
0: Sure. No, I, I hear you there. And it's, uh, it's certainly a logical pick. Uh, so by, by Miami, you picking Miami to go six and zero. You're telling us that you, you see Ball State losing in week one and all. Oh no
1: doubt, no no doubt. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm not I'm not picking Ball State to win that. Are you crazy? I hear you. Okay,
0: fair fair enough. Uh, an honest fan, I, I I appreciate that. So let's talk next about uh, who who we feel like are the breakout teams are going to be this year. So um, who do you see kind of breaking out of the uh, out of their shell uh, in this year and surprising some people, Sam?
1: Yeah. And, and this is just the Mac East. This isn't the Mac in general. So we went for the Mac East. So I went with, uh, you already picked Bowling Green. I think Buffalo has already technically broken out. So I didn't think it would be fair to choose them. I think Miami's the same way. And so we were basically left with, so what I was basically left with was Ohio Kent state Bowling Green. If I wanted to kind of copy off you and then Akron, I don't think Akron's time is yet, I don't think Akron or Bowling Green, they need at least a year or two years potentially before we can kind of make that assumption, and they prove to us that they're ready to break out, and I think that leaves it between Ohio and Kent State, which means I think I gotta go with our boy who we've talked about a numerous amount of times, so many times, but I think it's well-deserved, and that's Dustin Crum and Kent State, and I think When you look at what they did last season, getting their first bowl win in school history, they're gonna ride that this season. I think they're gonna take, I think even though people are placing kind of low expectations on them are gonna outperform because you gotta remember a year ago, their defense wasn't good by any means. But Dustin Crum, in his junior season, was able to elevate that team to a bowl win. And considering that their defense might be the same or even less, Dustin Crum, being a senior, having an extra year, I think that's just going to help him even more. And if he's looking to potentially be drafted next year or uh, get interest in uh, third teams with the undrafted free agent status, he's got to show out. So I think this is a year for Dustin Crum to make his name um, even more known. Yeah, it's
0: hard to argue with that pick. I think uh, Kent State is certainly a, a program on the rise, and every, you know we've talked about Dustin Crum a lot here, and uh, everyone knows how I feel about him. I'm excited to watch him in a few weeks. Uh, but as you mentioned, though, Sam, yeah, I went with Bowling Green here. Um, I, I'm a big believer in in, in Scott Leffler and I'm a big believer in the way he's recruiting. You know, Bowling Green's uh, recruiting class was second in the MAC. Uh, last year behind only Toledo so last year obviously they took their lumps but he installed his system and now he has some more of his players in place and um, you know Nick uh, Petrovich uh, came on the show a couple weeks ago from the Toledo Blade and he talked about how much different practice has looked this year um, you know, when he was on the show a few weeks ago and on offense, I think, uh, you know, you get Matt McDonald, who, who's all set to play this year after he sat out last season after transferring from Boston College. Uh, I think he's going to transform this offense. This is a team that was last in the Mac last year in, uh, in passing offense, which, you know, as if you know anything about Bowling Green, that's a team that in a program that is known for throwing the ball around the yard last year, they weren't able to do that. You know, only threw for 154 yards a game, which in college football in 2020, I mean, I feel like option teams sometimes throw for that, you know, that amount of yards. So I think Matt Mc, uh, McDonald's really going to transform the offense. Um, he has some, some weapons around him. You got Andrew Clair's back at running back. You got Quentin Morris back at tight end. Those are the guys that um, have, have been around and had great years uh, for the Falcons in the past. You know, I think there's obviously some issues on defense. Still, the defense is not going to be good. So, I'm I'm not saying that Bowling Green's going to you know win four games this year and or has a chance to go you know to, to Ford Field and, and win the the championship. Um, but I just think I think that you know there I, I see them winning two or three games. I could see them definitely uh, you know surprising a, a two, you know team or two and getting a couple upsets.
1: Yeah, no doubt, and and I I agree with you in the fact that I think Bowling Green's can be better than what people expected. I'm not ready to put them in contention for the Mac East. Um, yeah. yeah, and um, as you mentioned, Nick mentioned their um, different um, look at practice and how much better it looks. Yeah. But I, I just don't know going into the season when you don't have a lot of practice, you're bringing a transfer. Like there's not a whole lot of time. Like uh, we'll talk about with our kind of disappointments. This is why I have the team I do. New quarterback, not a whole lot of time. I just, I just don't think it's going to be the, the time yet for Bowling Green to take the step to the next level. I, I certainly could see them getting uh, two wins, like in your prediction, but three or four, I, I just don't know yet.
0: Yeah, no, I, I hear you there, and um, that is a good point you made, and, and, something that I didn't really think about when I was doing this, but, um, you know, just the fact of, you know, such a lack of an off season this year, and, um, having to get so many new guys up to speed. So that's, so that certainly is a good point. Um, but you kind of referenced here that, you know, your disappointing team. So we're kind of go to the flip side of the coin here, right? Instead of talking about an overperforming team, we're going to talk about a team that we think might come up a little bit short of expectations this year. So um, why, don't, why don't you give us your uh, team that you think has a chance to disappoint this season?
1: Uh, Yeah so again it just kind of went down to like uh, the Mac East just kind of breaking down to see which teams I wanted to put. As in my records uh, standings indicate I don't think Miami or Buffalo is gonna flop. I don't think a lot of people do by any means. I already have Kent State break down so it's between Ohio, Bowling Green, and Akron. And Bowling Green, Akron I think can't really disappoint more than they have like maybe that's like shots fired I'm not trying to make it shots fired but I don't think they can necessarily do worse than they have in years past so I don't think they're they can flop by any means so I think that's left with Ohio I think when you look at what Ohio did I looked at their um through six games last week, because that's all you're going to get this season. They went four and two with a 1.1 against Kent State, a loss against NIU, three solid wins against uh, Ball State, Western Michigan, and Bowling Green before a loss against Miami, Ohio. They play the two MAC championships final from a year ago. Uh, Kent, who I mentioned above, they only beat by one last year. And Buffalo, who everyone seems to have labeled as a contender. I don't think this is the year for Ohio to break out, especially with the new quarterback, as we mentioned with Bowling Green. They don't have a lot of time to work him into the system. So I just don't think this is the year for Ohio to shine.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you there, man. And uh, it is, it's is—it's always tough, you know, picking something like this when when Frank Solich is the coach of the team. But, but I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, you know, breaking into a new quarterback – especially when uh, Nathan Rourke was, was such a, such a pillar for them for so many years. I hear, I hear where you're coming from and I, I could definitely see a, a little bit of a letdown season in Athens this year. Um, but Hey, we'll, we'll see. That's why they play the games. Right. Um, as far as my team that is going to disappoint uh, this might surprise some people, but I'm actually going to go with Kent state here. I know we've talked about them a lot on the show. I've, I've written about them a couple of times on, on the, on the blog. Um this is not me saying that I don't believe in Kent State. I still think they're going to have a good season. And I, I think this is a program that's certainly headed in the right direction. I just think, you know, um, I think they have aspirations of, of winning the conference and getting the Ford field. And I think maybe some of their fans feel that way as well. Um, I'm not saying that that can't happen, but I just I look around the division and I, I think I see better teams in Buffalo and Miami and Ohio. If we're talking about just quarterbacks. I think I don't think anyone's going to argue that Dustin Crum is probably the best in the conference, top two in the conference, and definitely best in this division here for sure. But I just I think on, on defense, Kent State was not good last year. Um, you know, Buffalo, Miami, and Ohio, they were first, third, and fourth in the Mac last year in total defense. Kent State was 10th. And then on the flip side, Buffalo and Ohio were first in the conference and third in the conference, respectively, in rushing yards per game on offense. And Kent State gave up 220 yards per game on offense in, co- in conference games. So I feel like Buffalo and Ohio are set up well to beat Kent State because of the weaknesses that Kent State has. And I just think that, um, you know, if those are the top four teams in the Eastern Division, I, I could easily see Kent State losing
1: to two of them and, only, you know, only finishing in like fourth place. No doubt, and I and the reason why I have them kind of uh, exceeding this year is because I think they're in the similar situation they had last year. Not a great defense, but they've got Dustin Crum, and even with his lack of weapons, I think he'll still prove to carry this team. He'll find a way to do it. He carried them to a bowl win last week, so like he definitely could go only three and three or two and four. But I think he'll give. Uh, the Mac, the five Mac East teams that he plays this season a run for his money each and every single week.
0: Oh yeah, not not disagreeing with that at all. I think he's going to be one of the best players in the conference this year. And, and I'm excited, really excited to watch him. I know um, they open up week one with Eastern Michigan that game uh, on ESPN Plus on uh, on Wednesday the 4th. So I know that's one that I will certainly uh, be in front of the television for. Coming up here, guys, on the show, this is, I guess I should say first, this is going to wrap up kind of our Eastern uh, division preview just some predictions from from me and sam and how we see the the uh the division going to shake out um here later in the show coming up uh we're going to have a couple of uh season preview interviews with uh with journalists we're going to have um rachel lenzie on from the buffalo news uh she covers high school and uh college sports for for the uh for the news and she covers the bulls uh football and, and basketball programs and then we're going to have uh ashley bastock from the toledo blade on she covers the rockets for for the blade and um has worked some other beats for them as well. So we're looking forward to having both of them on. Really excited for those conversations. Uh, but before we move on to those um, interviews, I uh, wanted to talk to you a little bit about the esports coverage that Hustle Belt is continuing to provide. Even though uh, football is back, that doesn't mean we're going to stop our coverage on esports. Um, Hustle Belt is providing continuing esports coverage, covering all 12 MAC member schools' inaugural season on the varsity esports scene our very own Ethan nelhad Dolan will provide weekly written updates on hustlebelt.com and will also host several programs on our newly retrofitted Twitch page, including a weekly highlight reel breakdown and an interview show. Follow Hustlebelt on twitch.tv slash hustlebelt to keep up on the latest EME action and stay tuned for more information on the formal schedule. So Sam, any final thoughts or uh, you know anything you want to share with the audience before we move on to our interviews?
1: Um not not really. I'm just excited for uh Maction to come back finally. It's been a long time in the coming. We've been waiting since I don't even remember when the last Mac football game was. It must Mac championship game was last December. So yeah, so close to what 10 months, not uh, nine months away? Like and saying I'm just ready for us to get back in the swing and things hopefully eventually we can have fans in the stands but unfortunately we're just gonna have to watch uh the games from our tvs this this year
0: yeah for sure and uh hey it is what it is we're getting mac football again soon so I'm not gonna complain um but all right with that said guys we're gonna go ahead and get to these interviews with uh with Rachel and Ashley hope you guys enjoy them all right, everybody, welcome back to the show. Um, for our next segment here, we have a, a special guest joining us as we continue our preseason football coverage. Um, we want to talk some Buffalo Bulls football. So uh, we are joined tonight by uh, Rachel Lenzi, who covers high school and college sports for the Buffalo News. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight?
3: Good, and thank you for having me. I've you know, actually been working on college football coverage all day. We spoke with Lance Leipold this morning to talk a little bit about uh, the quarterback competition there—it's funny. It's very different year, same quarterback competition. You know, we spoke with Coyote uh, Awashika, who's uh, probably the veteran on the offensive line at UB. We spoke with James Patterson. You know, I'd spoken with uh, Jared Patterson earlier this week, and you can tell at Buffalo. You know, even though it's a very, very uncharacteristic season for everybody across the country in college football, you know, they're they're ready. They're they're ready. There's a palpable excitement in camp. You know, and they're. You know they're trying to do everything they can to stay healthy right now in order to have that first game.
0: Yeah, that's. That, I think that's uh, such a weird uh, wrinkle that's added to this mm-hmm. year's having to follow all these pro- protocols just to make sure that the games happen. Um, so you mentioned the quarterback competition, and obviously I saw, you saw the, the article you you put out today about the quarterback competition. So let's start there um, because last year Matt Myers obviously was the starter at the beginning of the season. He gets hurt, and Kyle Van Trees comes in. Kyle Van looked pretty good. He went six and two as a starter, uh, but now obviously Myers is healthy. Myers is back. So, um, could you give us a little update on the the, the quarterback competition? And is there, are there anyone that has they have they indicated if anyone's in the lead there?
3: You know, no, they haven't. You know, I can tell you this. Usually, we're at practices every week, but because of COVID nineteen protocols, all the practices are closed. They're working very differently this year. And we're only allowed to meet with. You know, the coaches once or twice a week and the players once or twice a week. So we really have to go by what their word is. I, I joke, I'm like, I covered Michigan for five and a half years, six years, and they did that every week. So I feel like I'm kind of used to it. So we don't really know. We haven't really gotten a sight, you know, for what the two quarterbacks are really like this year or where the competition is. So there's nothing really tangible. We have to go on what the coaches are telling us right now. And, you know, this morning, Lance, you know, we, you know we'd asked Lance, you know, you, know do you do you have any, you know, any kind of timeline for when you want to decide. And he said, well, you know, kind of very open-ended said could be by Sunday, could be by kickoff November 4th. But, you know, we haven't really been given an indication of who it would be, you know, you know, common logic, just looking at, you know, the the stats and whatnot, tells you it probably should be Kyle Vandries. And he was my pick last year. I was totally wrong. Any Matt Myers, because last year they found that Matt Myers, he was more mobile. He had a Better grip on uh, RPOs, you know, the run pass option, uh, which is something you know, I learned about as I went. It, it was interesting talking with Jim Kubiak, who uh, played at the Navy Naval Academy, and he he lives in Buffalo. Talked a lot about you know what RPOs are. I mean, we found we had to explain to the readers too. Yeah, you know, they really liked that Matt Myers. He made decisions. He was just a very very cool customer. Just like nothing rattled him. And you know, at the time, UV was also trying to find balance in his office. They're primarily a running team with jared patterson with kevin marks matt myers ran the ball a lot but then he got hurt against miami and it, which was just you know just a bad game overall i think he got sacked like four times in that game but then kyle van trees came in and he really proved himself even though it was a loss against ohio his first start you know he proved he could you know command the offense he worked more out of the pocket he had a lot more poise He was productive as well you know and there was a little bit more of a balance the offense but they lost in overtime and there was a special teams gaffe that went into that as well you know that really resulted in loss but it was interesting to see how kyle developed over the course of the season he took his lumps but he also had a stronger offensive line in front of him a veteran offensive line that lost three starters from last year so there's an area that ub is really going to have to shore up going into this season and he led them to their first Bull win. You know, Matt Myers ended up being out for the season with an upper body injury and subsequent surgery. So, you know, not only does Matt Myers have to prove again he deserves a shot, he's got to prove he's healed, he's healthy, and he's confident to play. And there are kind of no after effects of that. So, you know, it's it, sorry to take the long winded route here, but I mean, we really haven't been given an indication yet, which kind of makes it really really interesting, you know, I think we found out about a week before the first game last year, maybe somewhere in that window right before. So it might come right down to the wire with UB again.
1: Okay, so in this kind of this question, next question kind of goes back again to what you mentioned. And it's no secret around the Mac community that Bulls uh, expectations going into this year has been raised and there's a ton of talent returning on roster this season. You kind of touched on it. So what's the feeling around the team with the season fast approaching? Is it Detroit or bus this season?
3: It is expectations are very, very high this year. First off, if you look at Buffalo's personnel, they return the bulk of their starters. I think the only places where they really have to you know, fill the holes are on the offensive line. And in the secondary, where they lost Joey Banks, who really was their emotional leader on defense. You know, they've got a couple really good grad transfers coming in who can help in the linebacking court. Brendan Pine, who was, I think, the one of the Ivy League's leading tacklers either last year or the year before he was at Brown, and Tyree Thompson, who transferred in from UCLA. But uh, you know, last year there were definitely some question marks after the loss of Tyree Jackson at quarterback, the exodus of transfers between KJ Osborne, who's now with the Vikings. Uh, you know, Charlie Jones, who went to Iowa, Tyler Mabry, the tight end, who went to Maryland. So there were a lot of personnel questions, a lot of holes to be filled. There was no experience coming back uh, in the receiving game either. And again, it was about cultivating that balance. So it felt kind of last year of, it was all right, you know, if we can have a winning record, we can go to a bowl game. And even that kind of went down to the wire after they fell apart against Kent State, uh, you know, it was, Hey, you know, that's the foundation we can build upon. So yes, I mean, Definitely every player we've talked to so far through Zooms this year and, or on the phone they have said, you know, we want to go to Detroit. And, you know, yes, the talent is there. The drive is there. Now it's a matter of they have to put together a season and have to stay healthy to have as many games as they can for that season.
0: One thing I wanted to ask is, so we've, we've had some some Buffalo folks on in the past, our, our friends over from uh, from the Bullet Points blog. Mm-hmm. And, and something that they had mentioned um, is that there are some within the fan base in Buffalo right now that um, are a little bit lukewarm on, on Colt coach label some folks that were disappointed by last year's results. And, you know, some of the, you know, the transfers from the previous season and stuff like that. Now, from our perspective, it seems like he's recruited very well and that mm-hmm. he has the program very well positioned. Would you say that that sentiment is, is pretty uh, common among the, the bulls fan base? I mean, we, from our perspective, it seems like bulls or uh Leipold really has things going in the right direction.
3: I mean, Lance has built, he's done a very good job building and putting his stamp on that program. Another thing that has to kind of be put into more context here is, you know, the Bills aren't the number one, I mean, the Bulls aren't the number one game in town. You know, they're below the Bills, the Sabres, you know, we've also got Canisius basketball. There's a lot going on. Buffalo is a great sports town. So I think kind of the strike against UB is that you know, they're not as high on the totem pole as other places would be. You know, like I said, i covered Michigan for six years, you know, where everybody paid attention to that. I worked in Toledo, Ohio, where the University of Toledo was, you know, the big story in town. Ohio State was the big story in town. These were you know, college towns. And that's one thing I found. I think that was the biggest transmission for me as well. It's was like, Buffalo is not a college town. So I, I think that also makes it kind of interesting to cover this team, you know, to kind of see how they kind of had their rise at the end of the season and maybe caught some things now the other thing i've noticed here especially with the patterns is that there are personalities on this team that people care about jared patterson for one we look at our readership people love reading about him matt meyer is a local kid from from buffalo I and mean, he's from west seneca you know there was evan kasarczyk who went to west seneca east so there are two high schools in west seneca so it's more about the personalities you know damon harris is another guy who plays for the kansas city chiefs now ub product and you know, there's still interest in tyree jackson I find it's more geared toward the players as opposed to the coach. But then again, you know, you have to look at Lance's first couple of years on campus as well. The program struggled as they were trying to build it, and they dealt with some tragedy as well too, with you know, with uh, you know, with a player death a few years ago, and it was in Solomon Jackson, which you know is still. I mean, no coach ever wants to go through that, and you know, it was, it's, it's, it's kind of UB has their niche here. I don't know if there's unrest among the fan base yet. I think if they go, Oh, and six, there might be, you know, but you know, there are a lot of circumstances leading into it to say, you know, where there might be some questions around. So I and the one thing is to do, you know, bottom line is winning. When UB was winning, winning, winning two years ago, people paid attention. You know, people cared. They went downhill a little bit last year and, you know, they were kind of like, oh, you know, oh, the Bills are on. We'll watch that instead. Maybe we'll see the highlights and maybe we'll read the stories. But, you know, which also is on us to say, hey, you know, we still have to cover this team.
1: Uh, yeah, no doubt. And um, so moving into the offense, you touched on um, the emphasis on the RPO game last year. And mm-hmm. we saw the offense heavily dependent on the run game last year. Mm-hmm. Patterson and marks both are turn. So we can assume there will be an emphasis on the run game, but they also lose – three stars on the O line. How's the how's the line looking right now? Do you anticipate the offense looking similar to last year? How do you feel the offense is going to fold or turn out this season?
3: I think the offense has to find more balance. You know, I was looking at the statistics earlier this this morning after we talked with Lance Lapold. You know, and he said, "Yeah, you know, we we have to depend a little more on the passing game." I was looking at the statistics and they had 3200 yards rushing a little uh, under 1800 yards passing last year you know that's a big disparity and I kind of laugh when I watch the NFL I'm like you know, I'm used to these more balanced games and it's like oh my god people are passing this is amazing I'd like to see uh-huh. more of this part of that was UV didn't have a lot of experienced receivers last year like I said after losing KJ Osborne after losing Charlie Jones after losing Tyler Mabry at one point in the first few games in the season I think every passing touchdown was caught by a tight end by Zach LaFave or Julian Brasa. And, um, you know, it was, it was one of these, okay, you know, they have to get it going. But once Kyle Trees came in, he incorporated those receivers a little more, Daniel Lee, Antonio Nunn, you know, I guess they, they also lost Giovanni Ruiz to an injury and he's kind of an up and coming guy. He was a walk-on. He's got a really cool story as well too. So, but yeah, they definitely have to strike more balance. I mean, Jared Patterson really carried the load last year. Kevin Marks was a great reinforcement. I think they're one of three teams that return two players that had more than a thousand yards rushing so which is a pretty unique category but one thing they're trying to and the coaches I say are trying to impress on the players and on their on their new you know on their scheme is that you know we can't rely solely on the run I mean Jared Patterson he is fantastic he's an awesome player but you know more teams are going to key in on him
0: 10th in mm-hmm. the country in rushing yards and 122nd in passing yards I mean that's Quite a disparity there. Now, what about on the other side of the ball there, Rachel, with the the defense? I mean, this is a defense that was legitimately great last year. I mean, they they led the conference in a lot of statistics. Eight starters are back. Um, Can Mm -hmm. we expect more of the same this year? Are there any weak spots on this defense? Yeah,
3: I, I think we can expect more of the same with the defense. The bulk of the offensive line comes back, you know, including... Taylor Riggins, you know, who defensive and Eddie Wilson as well, comes back. So they've got a pretty good core there. I think the only guy they lost from last year was Shibuza Wuka, who's now at Boston college. He was a transfer and, you know, the linebacking core with, you know, James Patterson coming back and they lost Matt Otwinowski to graduation. Uh, You know, they brought in the two graduate transfers in Brendan Pine and Tyree Thompson, like I had mentioned before, you know, the secondary is going to be a little bit of a concern, you know, you don't I shouldn't say you don't you can't replace a player with the intensity that Joey Banks had you know he's a you know one of you know one of the one of the defensive backs you know and he you know he really was the personality of that defense I really really believe so just with his intensity with his smarts with his skills I don't know how many times and maybe you know, I don't know if this is a little bit of an indictment on the defense but. I think it was after the Liberty game he led the team in tackles in that game and I'm like well you know first I'm like oh well when you know your your secondary is leading your team in tackles that's not a very good thing but at the same time I'm like this guy really wants to take control he was so passionate about the game as well and it's going to be you know replacing him both skill wise and you know and emotionally that's going to be a big thing that UB is going to have to do but I don't think the defense is going to be as much of an issue you know as it would have been last year
1: and I've kind of got a two-parter for this question and talking to Leipold this uh as we all know this is kind of a free eligibility season I call it I kind of call it a red shirt season mm-hmm. so is there any sense of how he will treat this free eligibility season and what that is there anybody you could feel could kind of break out this season
3: you know he talked about that a little bit this morning I think the coaches are still trying to figure that out as well too, because there's so many unknowns that are going into this one who will step up Two, how many games will be played this season. You know, I think that's a big issue as well. I was uh, talking about this with one of the basketball coaches here in Buffalo. When they look at it from a basketball standpoint, that's the big question is how many games are we going to be able to play this year? Would it be worth it for someone to return next year? And use that year of eligibility, you know, kind of apply it retroactively this year, and come back and play that full season to help with their development. Player development's another issue, you know. If a guy feels he's ready to go to the NFL or ready to go to, you know, another school, he can do that. So I think a lot of that's going to be contingent upon how the season unfolds, both team wise and individually, and from the MAC perspective.
0: Um so so you written an article earlier this week uh, where coach Leipold was talking about some of the uncertainties mm. of the season right you know what happens if games get postponed the mac did it doesn't have mm. any wiggle room here they they didn't build any bye weeks into this schedule so um H- has there been any updates on terms of, you know, protocols, how the Mac's going to handle that if games do get postponed? Mm-hmm. And I guess ultimately the million dollar question is, do you feel like the Mac is going to get through this six game season? Yeah. You know,
3: I, we have not gotten any update on protocols yet. I saw the pack 12 had just released theirs within the last couple days. I haven't, I haven't gotten a chance to review that yet, but again, I mean, they, like you said, they packed these games in it's one after the other, after the other, I mean, Maybe we'll see a few midweek games, you know, later in December, mm. if games are canceled. But we don't know. I think the thresholds are like five percent, five percent positivity rate, then you have to pause activities. But there's nothing for games, and when it makes up yet. And I mean, this it, this pandemic's really shown me a lot about, in general, just organization and priorities how we're planning or maybe how we're not planning. And I think it's a little concerning that the Mac hasn't released these competition standards yet. You know, can a team with that's played only five games make it to the championship? Will you do it by default because maybe another team has four games or they're four and one and they leave, you know, they, they leave their division. We don't know that we definitely need some clarity on that. I think that clarity is going to come closer to the season. Also when the Mac has a better grasp on collective health, you know, other than, Buffalo, I think Buffalo has been the only team that's had, you know, a a noted outbreak among its program right now. I know Ball State is finally starting to release its testing data. Uh, you know, Toledo released testing data regarding its basketball program earlier this week, when they had an outbreak. And you know, I think I counted there were eleven programs in college football that had outbreaks. I'm looking at the list right now between September 28th in October 15th, which is very concerning. It really is, you know, and you have to wonder, are other teams taking notice? Are other teams being unmindful? Are the programs in other communities doing this as well? And I think, you know, I kind of going. I'm getting a little wonky going on a tangent here, and it also concerns me that a lot of these MAC programs and MAC schools are not being transparent with their COVID-19 data. You know, we are in a public health crisis. We are in a pandemic. These communities need to know.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And you mentioned kind of the outbreak from Buffalo and I kind of want to touch on that. Uh, Three weeks ago, it was, I believe they said like 25 athletes uh, tested positive. Mm -hmm. So in your mind, what, how, how did you see Buffalo kind of react to that? What was, what did Buffalo do differently? Did they increase testing? Like what was Buffalo's overall reaction to the uh, outbreak they had?
3: You know, I think it was very Proactive, you know, the timing of it was kind of weird. It was September 29th. I have that on my list here. If you follow me on Twitter, I I put a lot of spreadsheet data up, and I like spreadsheets. So it was September 29th. I think it came as a surprise. I'd heard some rumblings that there had been some issues, and gotten a call that morning from a source who said, "Look, something's going on here. You know, you might want to check in." And I think they were very proactive. They, you know, they went through all the protocols. They worked with the Erie County Health Department to isolate and or quarantine players. You know, a week later, practices began on October 5th and Lance Leipold even said to us, you know, we are not at full speed right now. We still have guys going through protocols, going through recovery, they're still doing this. But then when I talked to the athletic director, he said, you know, I really think this was, you know, not a, he didn't say shock to the system, of all the you know of the athletic community and the community at large at be but he said i really think this triggered a response you know that people have to take this virus it seriously it's a highly contagious disease with no cure and no vaccine it can be spread airborne you could be sitting at a table talking to someone over dinner and that could happen i'm not a scientist so don't quote me on this or an epidemiologist. but it, it you know it just it, it's the just the highly contagious nature of this you have to be very very mindful of it. And the players also said, you know, we have to take personal responsibility and accountability for this. You know, after the outbreak, Jarrett Patterson said they had a team meeting and said, guys, if you don't want to do the right thing, and if you don't want to, you know, pay attention and be mindful and understand of all of our health, you can walk, which I thought was pretty powerful. You know, and then she also showed me how committed these guys are to the goal of winning the Mac championship. So I think it was a very important lesson not just for the athletes, but for our community as well.
1: So a quick follow-up to that. So with with it being three weeks, do you think Buffalo's program is back up to speed? And do you think they will be ready come uh, November 4th or whatever the first game is to, to actually play?
3: I think they will. Uh, I actually just, it, part of the story I'd written today, uh, the first two weeks of testing, Uh, mark all that had given me the 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 data they had this was a through the first two weeks the mac has instituted four time a week antigen testing for football players you know they said they had zero positive tests in the football program in the first two weeks now you know it's thursday of the third week that could change we haven't gotten any updated data yet but it was like okay you know this proves you know something's going right here you know, the, the gravity of the situation somehow made it in. But again, I mean, that could change. And there, the antigen testing, here I go, I get a little wonky again. The antigen, the antigen testing is a more rapid response, but it could also lead to a false positive. You know, if there is a positive, as we saw with Nick Saban, he got a PCR test, which is more accurate, but it takes longer to turn around for the result. So there's a lot of things that go into it. It's not just, oh, you know, you have a positive, you know, positive test, you can't play. There has to be a secondary source to do that. So, you know, that's the thing. I, I, I do think it's gotten better. I think, the, again, the gravity of this has sunken in, but I mean, it's a day-to-day road. I've talked to other people in college football who've said, you know, yeah, we have a very low percentage, you know, of positive, positive tests in our program, but every day we're worried. We're worried something's gonna happen. You know, it's not an indictment of sports or an indictment of football at all. It is just an illustration of how contagious this disease is.
0: Yeah, it's uh, crazy that we even have to talk about things. Talk about like, right, when right? It to, when it comes to football this year. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Rachel, one one final question I have uh, mm-hmm. before we let you go, and I don't know, Sam, if you have anything final um, before we let Rachel go, and, and thank you again for uh, joining us, Rachel. Again, we're joined by Rachel Lindsay of the Buffalo News here. Um, so one final question for, for you, Rachel, from my perspective, we've talked a lot about football here tonight, but amid all this craziness, we, we forget that basketball is only a month. Right. Um, so obviously similar to football, I mean, the basketball program has really kind of been elevated over the last couple of years at, at Buffalo. What are the expectations uh, from the men's team uh, on campus this season? And what, what do you see from, uh, from coach Weitzel and his squad? The,
3: the men's team, I talked with a couple of the players last week and they said, you know what? We have to bounce back from being eliminated in the first round of the mac tournament we did not want our season to end that quickly i mean it was it was a shock to see a 12 beat to five but in a way it kind of wasn't because ub had been so erratic last year they were trying to find their identity after losing guys like cj massenberg and you know they, they you know they were playing a different schedule They they also didn't have the strength of schedule like they did the previous season where they played West Virginia, where they played San Francisco, where they played Southern Illinois, You know, where they looked like they were going to run the table on the Mac. You know, the the, the the competitive level went down a little bit and the guys were not satisfied with that. They got a boost coming back from Javon Graves, who'd originally declared for the NBA draft, but because of the pandemic uh, and because of the uncertainty, what was going to happen, he said, you know, I'm probably best just playing basketball and excelling this season as well they've got a you know they've, they've got a couple good additions they've got chance Robinson who's a freshman who's coming in from uh Louisiana but he's one of the top players in Louisiana you're going to see uh, Josh Mbala it's the six foot ten center from France you know rebounding machine coming in they're hoping to develop more out of Laquille Harden as well he was kind of Mbala's reinforcement if you will same kind of build height inside strength inside and whatnot but um you know they're they're really just trying to really cement a strong identity, and be more competitive and you know they don't want to have the disappointing season like they had last year
1: and one final question for me this is just kind of in general the uh buffalo programs ha- has there been any since i know um with the with the mac um schools it's been a concern of cost and money and whatnot so how is buffalo feeling going in with no fans the, the kind of the lack of revenue non, non-conference non games weren't an option this season so how has Buffalo been able to deal with the the loss of revenue?
3: It's, it's a tough loss because not just with revenue there's a concern about what kind of state subsidies are going to be received this year uh, there's concern about TV revenue that's going to go down March Madness revenue you know there's Going to be a lot of losses, no ticket sales. I mean, there's not going to be concession sales, and schools don't make a lot of money from that. I mean, beer sales are kind of the myth of college sports where, oh, they can make money selling beer. No, they actually only get a fraction of the one beer they sell. But, you know, uh, UB has started a fundraising campaign to offset COVID 19 testing and equipment costs. And I think it was one of the, you know, one of the data points I'd seen. I think a, a COVID 19 test per individual costs at least $50 you multiply that over the course of the season that ain't cheap. And it's not being subsidized by a company like Quibi or let by one of the local hospitals, you know, even the first thing UB tried to do when they brought back athletes, they said, all right, if your insurance can cover testing. It will do it. But then they found, Oh, and someone's insurance will only cover one test. You know, UB had to basically come in and subsidize the difference between the second test and the third test so that's not going to work as well. And you just can't give, these tests out during a pandemic when people really need them, you know, to make sure, I mean, we're we're talking life or death in some situations here, sadly. And, um, you know, it is, it is a very, very big concern. And I think not just at UB and not just at Mac schools or mid majors, I think around the country at schools, they're really going to have to reevaluate, you know, the financial aspects of college athletics, because one another, one of the biggest myths in college sports is, College football is a moneymaker. It is not. College football sustains the rest of the athletic department in a lot of these Power Five and even G5 programs. I mean, I think if you look at UB's athletic budget for 2019, I have it right here, actually. <laughs> you know, their, their budget, their total revenue, you know, total, I think it was, pull this up. Yeah, their, yeah. Their total revenues were, let me quote this right. It was 45 million in 2019. And almost 10 million of that came from football. So it's interesting. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to give you all a journalism lesson here. You know, at a state school, you can always FOIA the NCAA long forms and they'll tell you exactly what kind of numbers there are, you know, what, Mm. what, what your athletic department's budget is for the most recent fiscal year. You can look at the EADA site, which is a federal thing that just shows you the basic line of it. But I mean, literally earlier this season, I, or this year, I should say, I, I went through and said, they're going to lose this much. They're going to lose this much. They're going to lose that much. I mean, and the Mac, they're all state schools. So yeah. there's that concern every school. We're going to lose state subsidies. We're going to lose student fees. We're going to lose ticket, co- you know, ticket revenue. There's a big, big concern. You're going to see schools, A, get creative and how they're going to raise these funds. You're also asking for t- season tickets and the funding to be given as donations. Yeah. That's another thing schools are doing as well. UB is asking that. They launched a whole campaign called Make It Possible, Get It Possible. So uh, uh, they launched a whole I know they launched a whole campaign to do it. They ran a five, they had a 5k where they raised it. I think Northern Illinois is doing this. St. Bonaventure, which is an A10 program uh, up here, but up down in Olean, they you know they launched a campaign as well. And they were they were very, they were very frank in their in their announcement. They said without fans in the stands, we're going to lose $1.5 million a year. And they think they have a, I think an $8 million operating budget for athletics at St. Bonaventure. So it's a big concern everywhere.
0: Yeah, it really is. And, uh, I tell you what, I I do not envy, uh, the the position of, of, you know, the athletic directors, Mm -hmm. some of these athletic administrators and university administrators, uh, certainly an interesting time. Well, um, Rachel, we thank you again so much for joining us tonight. This was a great conversation. Yeah, well, and thank we were, you for
3: having we, me. You guys have really great questions.
0: Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate that. We appreciate you uh, giving some answers and sharing some insight about the upcoming Bulls season. Uh, everyone, again, she is Rachel Lindsay from the, the uh, Buffalo News. She covers high school and college sports up there. You can follow her on Twitter at Rachel M-L-E-N-Z-I. Uh, Rachel, again, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Right, thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
0: All right, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Continuing on with our preseason football coverage here, we're going to be talking about the Toledo Rockets. We're joined now by Ashley Bastog, who is the uh, beat reporter for the Rockets at the Toledo Blade. Ashley, thank you so much for joining
2: us tonight. How are you doing? Doing good. Thanks for having me. You guys got a hold of me pretty much faster than any other podcast. So I owe this to you guys to, you know, have this be my first podcast talking Mac sports. Wow. We are honored. That's awesome. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, um, let's, let's jump right into it, Ashley. Um,
0: Obviously, you know, Toledo uh, coming off a little bit of a disappointing season last year in 2019. This is a program that expects to be competing for Mac championships, expects to go to bowl games, missed the bowl game last year for the first time since 2013. So what's the feeling around the team right now? Are they excited to get back onto the field? Is there optimism that this is going to be a nice bounce back season for the Rockets?
2: Yeah, I think that there is a lot of optimism so far from the people that I've talked to, the coaches um, and the players, obviously, too. But um, most of those people have been on the defensive side of the ball, which anyone who watched any Toledo football last year knows that the defense was, the biggest issue probably and I actually just wrote a story on this uh today talking about the attitude of the defense and how it's really changed and quite honestly you look at their defensive numbers from last year and it's like there's really nowhere to go but up like in their total defense they were ranked 123rd out of 130 FBS teams just as one example and um there's a lot of defensive metrics that you can look at to kind of show um why things didn't go so well last year and obviously that's why they had a staff shake up and did all that stuff so I think the combination of there's a lot more experience now you do have two new defensive coordinators in there um, and some two new pretty big name hires in those coordinators so um, I think really that contributes to this overall more optimistic feeling um, that makes it feel like it's more than just like that typical coach speak or um, college athlete speak that you would hear at the beginning of a season.
1: And moving on to the other side of the ball, you touched on defense. So this team was 18th in the in rushing last year, four starters return on the O-line, as does everybody knows who Bryant Kovac is in the MAC. So is the offense going to be as run ha- heavy as it was last year, or can we expect something different out of this uh, offense?
2: Well, I actually think, and I don't have the direct quotes in front of me, but the biggest factor I think that a lot of people aren't considering right now with this is how late the season is starting and what the weather is going to be like and you know you aren't going to be able to throw 30 passes in the first half or something crazy and expect to win games and Jason Handel actually said something to that effect that whoever starts at quarterback um, let's assume it's Eli Peters just given experience but it might not necessarily be um you really are going to have to rely on your backs and especially like you said given the offensive line and all that experience uh coming back I think it wouldn't be too surprising uh to see a very run heavy offense once again um and especially like I said just given the fact when the season is starting um we're looking at probably some cold weather games some snow games all that sort of thing
0: yeah certainly Uh, A question that I, I just thought of, Ashley, is, you know, as the season, we're two weeks away now. I think last year's disappointment for the Rockets was probably, not probably, was definitely compounded by that loss to Bowling Green. I don't think anybody saw that coming. And obviously that's, you know, a huge rivalry. They get a chance at redemption here in Week One against the Falcons as as that battle for I seventy five rivalry continues. Um, has is there have you had any conversations with the coaching staff or anyone around the program about kind of the preparation for that game? Is it something that they've had circling on the calendar since the, the schedule was released?
2: Yes, yeah, so we're actually we'll have our preseason or preseason our pregame press conference with Jason Candle next week. So um, haven't had a chance to ask him, I I guess specifically have a whole like press conference devoted to that game. But obviously even before the schedule was officially announced that we knew that that was going to be the crossover game that was kept in. Um, So we did talk about it a little bit right after that. And, you know, made mention that, it's been obviously on the minds of these players, just given how bad that loss was and also just the fact that it's super important to the area. So for all these kids who are local or, um, you know, not even to just Northwest Ohio, but pretty much anywhere in Ohio, like I'm not from Northwest Ohio and I knew how important this rivalry was in college sports. I think a lot of them um, kind of come to the school almost with that rivalry ingrained in them. So I definitely think it has been circled on their calendar, and like I said, Coach Candle said as much, and I'm sure we'll get a lot more from that on the 29th when he does his normal pregame presser. Uh,
1: I'm kind of curious. I think I think w- uh, when I talk to Toledo fans, they're kind of unhappy with the way that Candle is performing, kind of kind of leeching off the success of what Matt Campbell did before he left to Iowa State. So is there so is that kind of a feeling you get from when talking to Toledo fans? How How kind of what's the um i guess mood around the area concerning jason Kendall's performance so far
2: yeah so i actually think like i maybe don't have the best perspective when it comes to what the fans are thinking just because like i was talking with you guys off mic before we started recording this i'm so new to the beat so um i'm definitely like learning very quickly how passionate um Toledo fans are about the University of Toledo and not that I didn't know that before but like on social media and stuff it's just totally different for me now and like the amount of interaction I get on my stories and I know everything's not based on how many likes and retweets you get Um, but I do think overall so far I've seen a lot of optimism and again I think it kind of goes back to even though last year obviously was not ideal by any stretch of the imagination And especially only, what, like two years removed from a conference title to have, a you know, the first year under Coach Candle where they don't uh, have a winning record. Um, So obviously, from that perspective, it was disappointing. But I think the fact that he was willing to shake up his staff um, maybe is making people more optimistic again, combined with the fact that, you know, there's so much parity in the MAC And you really can't go into any year, I think, for most teams and say okay well they absolutely have like no shot um at a division championship or to make to win a championship period so um I think that all kind of factors into the feelings overall um for the fan base and quite honestly again like I said that's with my minimal interaction with them but just what I've seen so far in my few weeks on the beat
0: so what do you think you, you mentioned earlier, um, you know, so, you know, kind of the coaching staff shakeup that uh, took place this off season, right? Vince, Vince carries comes in as the defensive coordinator. They made some changes on the offensive side of the ball as well. Anytime you have, you know, coaching staff turnover, I think that makes things a little bit, you know, tougher to get rolling again. And then you can po- compound that with the fact this season that there's no spring practice. There's been an been a abbreviated fall camp. How have the new coaches kind of ingratiated themselves with the team and what's the the coaching staff been like so far?
2: Yeah, I think so. The funny thing for me is I went to John Carroll, which is the rival of Mount Union. So when I was in college, Vince Karras was the coach at Mount Union for my last two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, those teams, it it truly is hard to describe like what it is like to watch a Mount Union team and those final two years I was in college, the only team they were com- that was even competitive with them was John Carroll, and John Carroll lost both those years. Um, he lost like only six games while he was the head coach at Mount Union. it, it just is crazy. Um, I think total from his playing days, his days as an assistant coach. Um, and his days as head coach he has 11 national titles so right there I think even though people look at like oh it's a division three coach making the jump to division one like obviously number one there's the connection with the school with Jason Candle um, having also being a Mount alum and having played there Um, and you know I think he brings that respect with him again and you talk to the players and they're like he's a really passionate guy Um, and they say the same thing about uh, coach Kuligowski from you know, obviously such places as Missouri, Alabama, Miami, who brings with him this phenomenal reputation and anyone you talk to, like about the defense, they mention coach cool and VK. Um, so I think as a whole, the players have really gravitated to these two guys. And again, you talk to them, like as far as X's and O stuff, I think I would expect to see more personnel groups is like the number one thing that players talk about. Like I t- talked to Tyson Anderson Uh, this past week, and he mentioned that that's something that they really acknowledged that they struggled with, that they didn't have enough of these personnel groups to be able to counter what opposing offenses were doing. So really, you look at it, and these two guys combined with their defensive assistants that are left over uh, from last year, it really provides this nice combination, I think, of reinvigoration combined with knowing strengths of the people you have. So defensively, I think that's kind of how those two have really worked together. And you talked to him, like I remember talking to Vince Scaris a few weeks ago, um, and he said, you know, from a foot, these are two like football guys, like they love things like watching film They're So far, it seems like they like working together. And I think their personalities and their goals kind of balance each other out a little bit. And it, I'm curious to see how this thing works for, you know, six games and how different things are going to look.
1: And so, from your short time on this, B, I I want to continue on that with bringing in a new coordinator. And 2020 being the year it is, and we're reduced to six games. Do you think this uh, Toledo defense can be ready in time come November fourth with the new coordinator learning a new system? Even though they do have those assistants, I'm sure the 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 coordinator's bringing in his own philosophy. So how? So in your short time, how do you do you think this Toledo defense will be ready come November fourth? You know,
2: I do just because you talk to, and this isn't just, I guess, exclusive to Toledo, but multiple college coaches and multiple programs that I've heard or seen interviews with um, or heard from, it's like the pandemic, like, yes, they couldn't be together and they lost either all of spring ball or a hefty chunk of spring ball, but it did give them time to do things like worry about installations. And again, you're doing it virtually, but you do have that m- more time to get prepared. And when Coach Candle did his first press conference of this preseason, he brought up from that day in August or end of August, beginning of September, whenever it was, um, to the first game of the season. It's more time and more practices than they would have in a normal year. So I think that's also going for them. They had this extended period of time uh, to get the mental side of things down. Uh And then also more practices on top of that, just with, by the nature of when the season was announced and how things shook out. So um, I do think that that won't hinder them, but uh, it still will be interesting nonetheless. Obviously 2020 is the year that it is. So um, I guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see. And I wouldn't expect to have like an immediate grasp of how that had worked either. I think it's going to, even for me, take me like a couple weeks of seeing them and kind of see how they've adapted. Good stuff.
0: Um, Ashley, one thing that nobody I think has ever questioned when it comes to, to Coach Candle has been his ability to recruit. I think you know, his, his recruiting classes are near the top of the MAC every year. I think last year on you know, 24-7, they were ranked second in the MAC, um, or maybe it was even first last year. I think maybe two years ago, they were second. Regardless of that, because of that recruiting, um, in your time covering the program thus far, any, any like impact freshmen or underclassmen that you feel might be poised for a big breakout season this year?
2: you know, not off the top of my head. And this might be one of those things, just given the fact that I haven't even had a chance to like learn all the freshmen yet. They haven't yeah. spoken to, I haven't spoken to any of them. Uh, so that makes it kind of difficult for me, but I will say like one person that I am super excited to kind of see um, how he fits with this program is Jonathan Jones transferring in from Notre Dame. I mean, that was a huge yeah. get for them, I think. Um, so that's like one newcomer that's, I'm, I guess, looking at so we'll see as far as the incoming freshmen and I guess you know the interesting thing too is coach candle has talked about he's not a coach who likes to count a guy out from being in the rotation just because of his class year Um, and he brought up a guy like Nick Rossi on the offensive line if they did that then he probably wouldn't have played last year um, as a redshirt freshman. So it, it should be interesting. And I'm sure there, I, I'm basically expecting somebody who is not on anyone's radar right now to potentially come in uh, and be an impact player. And again, I think too, with new coordinators, you, you never know what could happen and how that depth chart could look
1: different. Um, so this is just a general question. I was just wondering if you have any knowledge because I asked this to the previous Buffalo report, this isn't much football as it is just applies in general. So have you got any like sense around the program, how kind of Toledo is dealing with the loss of the non-conference revenues? Because obviously they're taking a big hit. So has there been any word or any sense from Toledo as to how they're they're taking this um, head on essentially?
2: Yeah, you know, I have not gotten into that with anyone. And again, I think that for me um, is something that I hope to be able to find out more about and talk to people about, but. Obviously, the issue becomes right now just me figuring out the football side of things, especially X's and O's and uh, men's basketball to an extent since that season, I think, is going to sneak up on all of us. But um, I know Nick Petrovich, my colleague on the Bowling Green Beat at our paper, wrote pretty extensively about this in the summer when the Big Ten announced, you know, we're going conference only before the season was postponed the first time. So I think that there's definitely still a lot there to look at, and especially for these group of five schools, how it's going to impact them and um, what the long term impact is going to be, because obviously the difference there, when you look at the Mac compared to the Big Ten, the biggest thing is the TV revenue money. Um, obviously those two things are not really comparable and that's how the big 10 is mitigating some of their losses. So um, it definitely will be interesting. It's worth looking into. And um, like I said, that's something bigger picture that I hope that um, I can write a little about and talk to more people about.
0: Great stuff. Uh, Last question uh, for me, Ashley, and then I don't know if if Sam might have anything final to to close us out, but you, you mentioned briefly uh, you know, the basketball program. And we're all getting so excited for football to be start, starting here in a couple of weeks that seems to be getting lost in the shuffle that college basketball is only a month away. Um, I know you haven't been on the Toledo beat for long. Have you had a chance to, to dig into the, the, the Rockets basketball program at all? How, how are things looking for them this year? I know they had a little bit of a disappointment last season after having a really good year back in 2018.
2: Yeah, so most of my um, digging into the basketball program so far was actually with this mini COVID outbreak that they've had this week. So right now, yeah. uh, head coach Todd Kowalczyk has COVID. He's been quarantining since uh, Sunday or Monday, I believe. Um, and then six players tested positive as well on Tuesday when they did their weekly surveillance testing. So they paused workouts for you know the next two weeks right now. And what I think is so interesting about that is Toledo has been a program that's been extra careful and especially Todd Kowalczyk he is somebody who has you know been outspoken about the need to respect this virus he's been outspoken about you know possibly starting the season later in January when there might be a vaccine and um, all that stuff so as my colleague Dave Briggs wrote for us yesterday it's like the virus does not discriminate like right now and this just kind of goes to show it and I talked to coach Kowalczyk and you know he mentions it's, it's a virus like we can be doing most things right but we're going to find cracks and, or the virus is going to find cracks. I should say. Um, and this is a good reminder of that. And, you know, from a basketball side of things, I asked if he was worried about how this is going to hinder their preparation. And he said, you know, not really just given the fact that they've already had like 19 practices before they shut things down, uh, which they did when his positive test came back. So they didn't practice on Monday or Tuesday at all of this week. Um, And he mentioned, you know, we'll still have three weeks by the time we come back until our first game. So um, I think most basketball players know that that is enough time to get into game shape and get your legs back underneath you and get going. So um, that's pretty much been the extent of my basketball coverage so far. And, um, you know, as he mentioned, it's like, you know, I think total, they won't really be impacted by this in the long run. Um, in the sense that there's still going to be enough time to get ready for that first game on the 25th.
1: And uh, one final question for me. So I think like Buffalo, there's a lot of expectations heading into the season. Uh, Detroit or bust essentially. And and Toledo, I think, is one of those teams that also has those high expectations. So is there a sense around the program that it is Detroit or bust for Toledo?
2: You know, I feel like there is, I think, always kind of like we've been talking about that the expectations around Toledo are always pretty high. Um, and it's understandable, especially considering the recent success. And when Jason Candle, as a head coach, only has one season that is not. A winning record, um, people were disappointed by that, and it wasn't even a losing record; it was a 500 record. So, um, I definitely think that they are, you know, getting to that championship game is the main focus, especially after a disappointing year. Um, and I will say, ironically, Toledo and Buffalo are the two teams that I picked in my preseason poll to make it there. So, um, we'll see. But obviously, you know, you look at what happened last year in the conference and how things shook out in the end, and. Uh, anything can happen but i really think especially given all the returners on this team that these guys want to get it done and I, like i haven't heard that exact phrasing or anything obviously but i think we can all make assumptions given the expectations historically around the program awesome stuff uh well uh
0: everyone out there she is ashley bastok the uh the reporter for the toledo rockets for the toledo blade uh ashley Thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been great. We really appreciate your your time and enjoyed the conversation. Uh, We hope to uh, have you on
2: again someday soon. Thanks for having me. And uh, anytime you guys uh, are willing to have me on, I will happily accept. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Ashley. Thank you.